0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the SoxProspects.com podcast. We are the web's number one source for information on the Boston Red Sox farm system from top to bottom, from Fort Myers to Pawtucket and all stops in between. Thank you for the listen. My name is Chris Hatfield. I'm the executive editor of SoxProspects.com, and I'm joined, as always, by our potentially uh, silent treatment protesting director of scouting, Ian Kundle. Ian, are you there? No, nah, he's still protesting. We got in an argument before I hit record. But at any rate, we want to thank you for joining us. As always, we want to give a shout out to our $5 level Patreon supporters. That's Sox Signatures, Lendl Martin, Kirby Miller, Gerardo Ian Tosca, Kyle Costigan, Tyler Woodraw, Jeff Trainer, David Nardone, Tim Harding, Ernest Shermer. Bill Stanton, Deb Kendall, Evan Kirkwood, Chris Fox, James O'Hara, Nathan Kenyon, and Andrew Wallen. Thank you to them and all of our our contributors on patreon.com slash Sox Prospects. Easy for me to say. Uh, You can go on there, pledge a certain amount per episode of the podcast. We really appreciate all of the support, everybody. Uh, Also, we are coming down the stretch on the Sox Prospects donation drive. We are very close to our goal for this year to bring our finances back up basically to being a balanced budget to maintain the level of coverage that you have come to love and expect out of us. If you can contribute, please head to com slash donate. We really appreciate anything you can give. If it's just a little bit, great. If it's a lot, even better. But uh, we rely on our support from our listeners and our readers. And if you can chip in, we would really appreciate that. Finally, make sure you send your emails to podcast at com. We want to talk about, or at least I do, Ian might be silent about it, but we want to talk about what you want to hear about, so make sure you send your emails in. Uh, We've got a few today, so we'll be hitting those at the end of the podcast, and Ian, really hope that you're willing to to get back into chatting because we've got a lot to talk about, brother. We've got uh, another trade that happened since our last episode at the trade deadline with the Red Sox trading for Ian Kinsler to be the starting second baseman for less than a week before going on the DL with a hamstring injury. And uh, one of the busiest promotion seasons I can remember in recent history, honestly. We've got, uh, let's see, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, like nine or so ranked prospects getting promoted over the past week. So we've got a lot to talk about there. And we've got some more uh, theoretical discussion to have, uh, which is the basis of Ian's silent treatment uh, regarding our new rankings in August. And uh, I, I, Ian and I wanted to, or at least I wanted to discuss with Ian kind of a debate that had come up uh, as a way to kind of, you know, usher in the August 1st rankings, which you can check out on the website. That of course is SoxProspects.com. Um But anyways, yeah, that's kind of the roadmap. That's what we're looking at today. In addition to your questions, but uh in buddy, hey you, uh, you want to maybe you want to maybe chat about some some Red Sox minor league stuff?
1: No, yeah, I'm here. I was also muted. I just didn't feel like unmuting.
0: <laughs> sure, <laughs> fair enough. Um, well, all right. K- joking aside, uh, I guess let, let's take it from the top because the the trade seems to have kind of loosened things up. We had mentioned, I think, even on the most recent episode of the podcast that we thought there would be promotions immediately following the trade deadline, and we nailed a few of them. Um, You even nailed a really random one this week, saying that when Kinsler went on the DL, look out, the Red Sox might call up Tony Renda. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. So, yeah, on your for that one. Uh, But yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to me that, you know, the Red Sox made this trade for Ian Kinsler on, um, let's see, they made the trade on the 30th. Uh, the day before the trade deadline, sending out a relief pitchers, uh, AAA relief pitchers, Ty Buttry and Williams Harris, who were ranked 19th and 26th, I think, in the system at the time. Yep, 19th and 26th in the system at the time of the deal. Um, and that really just kind of almost created a domino effect with all of these promotions that happened. But let's start with the trade, Ian. Um, Buttry and Harris are two guys that you had recently written up. Uh, yeah, that was
1: lucky.: <laughs> Yeah, in, was, in the.: same piece.
0: <laughs> That was a good look, and not only that, not only that, you wrote them up with Travis Lakins, who was promoted to Pawtucket the next day as one of the two guys to fill the vacated roster spots.: Yeah, so that was a good that was look.:
1: a, That was a good game. Yeah, I think it was one game. Yeah, they all pitched in the same game. So, <laughs> or no, yeah. no, no. Lakers wasn't that game. Lakers was a different game. But well, the two. Yeah, I guess it wasn't,
0: given that he was on a different team.
1: Yeah, um, but the two triple A, triple A guys that was almost Australian. Uh, triple A guys pitched in the same game.
0: Righto. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's. I I don't understand how you could dislike this trade.
1: Yeah, I mean, first off, they acquired a guy named Ian. So obviously, <sighs> I'm very pro that. Um, <sighs> great first name, you know. He's a consummate professional. See, here's know. the thing:
0: people think people think you're kidding, but like no, even in fantasy kidding? baseball. At one point, yeah. you had three different guys named Ian in your twenty per player minor leagues. Before I, used yeah, I would I be
1: kidding? <laughs> That's a great first name. It's a unique first name, and I'm very pro people with that first name being sure. successful. Is that wrong?
2: Like
0: exactly. The silent treatment. Uh, but um, yeah, but, I mean, it's what they uh, – I mean, look, Pedroia is not coming back.
1: Yeah, and I'll see you. he got moved to the 60-day DL today. Yeah,
0: but he had already been on the DL for like 57 days. Oh, okay. So it was, a, it was a technicality.
1: But yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear Pedroia is not coming back. And with that in mind, given how bad Eduardo Nunez has been, and with the other um, infield Holt's issues they have uh, – Well, Holt's not been good since the first month. But they've also just – I mean, Devers is on the DL. Pedroia is obviously on the DL. And Bogarts has not played weirdly in a few days. He's like or hurt like something. Which we know what happened last year when he had a hand injury. Right. So I'm all for resting him, given where they are. But they just needed infield depth, and Ian Kinsler. I mean, he's a good player. That's. I mean, he's you know he's old, but he can still play. And we saw in that you know couple games he played, he's a good defender. He can hit a little bit still. Mm-hmm. And I think it just deepens their lineup. You know, and the come October, would you rather have Ian Kinsler hitting sixth or seventh or Brock Holt?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think the the fact of the matter is that, you know, Holt gets exposed when he plays a lot. And I probably would have lost money betting whether or not Eduardo Nunez would still be on the team at this point.
1: Yeah, because he has legitimately been terrible. His quote was great, though. I love, like, the self awareness. Did you see his quote? No. He was like – he was cheering when they got – it's like, oh, thankfully we have someone who could actually play second base now or something along those lines. Really? Yeah, he he said that, which I was just like, I respect the self-awareness. Wow. That's um, kind of surprising. I'm find the exact quote. What was it? Because it's, it's kind of – I guess it's kind of um, – you're type.
0: Yeah, I mean but the thing is with, with butchery, I mean there were – so it, it stunned me that there were people who were upset. That they traded Buttry and and Harris because yeah, I mean, I think I don't think many people I think a I think people were sleeping on Williams Harris
1: because people would were not be way surprised. more upset
0: about Buttry than
1: Harris. I was just I would not have been surprised if Harris had a better career than Buttry, lefty, yeah, lefty. They, I mean, the stuff is pretty similar. They both throw in the high 90s, like I've seen both of them up to 99 this year. Um, and they both sat, what was it, like ninety ninety six ninety eight 96, 98 when I saw them. So they both have really good arms. Um, obviously Butchery I think the thing is Butchery's numbers are insane in AAA. Yeah, like, I
0: mean he's he's had good numbers since last year when he moved into the bullpen.
1: His strikeout Campo. rate's like 35% or something.
0: I mean if we talk this year his strikeout rate was uh 34.6%,
1: yeah. 35%. Um yeah, so they the Butchery's numbers really jump off the page, but I think it was telling that they called up Ryan Brazier. Ahead of him, Brazier. Sorry, when when they needed a a righty reliever a couple weeks ago, and once that happened, I kind it kind of was a red flag to me. And given he's taking up a forty man spot, and it seems for whatever reason they don't, they didn't even give him a shot in that spot. They went to a thirty one year old minor (laughs) leaguer who wasn't on the forty man roster um who you have who very be, strong thoughts of? who shouldn't be a prospect um <laughs> we'll get there they they went to him over buttry is kind of it opened my eyes a little bit and after that I, I wondered if it was someone that they would potentially be looking to move and they did that's exactly what happened and i mean it makes i can see why the angels were targeting those guys you know the stuff is mm-hmm. really good they 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 grayed out well in terms of uh like uh spin rates and stuff like that. Which the
0: Angels I, I'm comfortable saying it's out there. The Angels love their trackman data. I mean, um,
1: they both can miss bats. They yeah. both have, you know, major league bullpen profiles and it's very easy to see those guys pitching, you know, in the 6th, 7th, maybe even 8th innings if everything works out right. Um at some point, but they also have red flags. I mean, butchery, you know, the I'll say it. Right he,
2: it
0: it's the it's a mentality thing. I there's don't some, yeah,
1: there are some I, questions there.
0: I just I'm, I don't know that Ty Buttrey has the mentality to pitch, you know, crucial innings in the major leagues. When I've seen him pitch in the minors at multiple levels, and you've you've seen kind of the same thing. I mean, you know, he broke his hand because he punched a sprinkler. On the ground during a game. Yeah, that seems
1: kind of unlucky.
0: Yeah, that's that very unlucky. And frankly, I've done kind of the same thing. So I guess like, I I've,
1: I've punched walls in basketball before. Yeah,
0: I've broken my hand punching a wall.
1: So yeah. so you're not one to judge. I've never broken a hand. I always make sure there's padding there. And it's more an open-fisted slap because I don't want to break my hand. But well, see- I-
0: there, I made sure there was padding, it just wasn't nearly as thick as I thought it was.
1: Well, that's um, why you go the open fist. Right. You just
0: fair palm strike. Okay. Yeah, I'll exactly. do a palm strike the next. I'll I'll will say Kia next time I do it too. Two hundred
1: IQ plays right there. Got to protect those hands. Yes. Um. But yeah, no Butchery. I just think there's still there still are some question marks, and I'm still not sold on that he's his not walking anyone is really weird. <laughs> he, his he command cut the walk this big.
0: year in Pawtucket to 7.6% and that's the lowest it's been since Greenville in 2015
1: yeah like his control has definitely improved I'm still not sold on the command and as you said I'm just not convinced that like he'll be able to handle like the 8th inning And so even if he develops, because the stuff is there to be like an 8th inning guy mm-hmm. but I think probably he settles into like a solid 6th, 7th inning guy which is I mean that's fine What you can find those guys that we've seen like you can go out and get the Ryan Brazier Bra- Brazier Frazier, the Ryan Braziers of the world on you know on off waivers or as minor league free agents. I mean, we saw like what's the guy's name on the national? Oh, Justin Miller, the Nationals mm-hmm. guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He's like a thirty year old journeyman who came up and he Shucked. struck out. Yeah, he pitched like seventeen innings without giving up a hit or something insane. Right. Like mm-hmm. you can find those guys, and the Red Sox have depth at that position coming, which someone will talk touch on later, later in Lakin. So I don't really get the butchery thing. The Harris one, I actually kind of think a little more because they just don't have any other lefties in the system like him. Like, I guess. Look, the only other lefty in the system who can throw over 95 is Darwin's and Hernandez.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there you go. I mean, Darwin's and Hernandez, who's going to have to be protected from Rule 5 this offseason.
1: And is going to be a reliever, probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be a late- good one. But he that that's like if you look all the way up and down the system, there's not another lefty who touches higher than like 92.
0: I mean, they just don't seem to prioritize having a lefty in the bullpen.
1: No, which they is really weird. They really don't. That, oh, I, speaking of which, their entire bullpen right now is right-handed.
0: Right. Well, because it they've got Johnson so, in the like, rotation.
1: Yeah, because they've got
0: four they, four lefties in the rotation or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. It seems like, though, that in terms of lefty relievers, what they look for more is, like, funk. They're not looking for, like, a velocity guy. They're looking for someone who can just get lefties out.
0: Mm-hmm. They don't
1: really care about having, like, a, a, you know, a one-inning lefty reliever.
0: Like, I mean, I think we Bobby is going to be on the postseason roster. Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, mean, like, Robbie Scott, who I saw last night. Like, that's the kind of lefties they look for. And so, in that sense, Harris was kind of like an oddball in the system because he throws 99 and well, has that. I don't know chain. if it's
0: necessarily something they look for as opposed to what they have, right? Yeah. And Harris gets you more than, you know, Bobby Pointer's deceptive fastball.
1: Oh, absolutely. And in trades, it's not even close. That's why right? teams want Harris, because teams value velocity.
0: And that I think sense. that's, yeah, and I think that's a thing where, you know, I, a lot of times when the Red Sox trade a guy, you know, when the Red Sox trade Jalen Beeks, but keep other players in the system, it's not because they like, say, and I think this relates to a question we got, like, Denny Reyes more than Jalen Beeks. It's that Jalen Beeks got them, Nathan Eovaldi, and Denny Reyes was not going to get them, Nathan Eovaldi, right? Exactly. It's, yeah. So when you trade a guy, it doesn't mean you don't like him. It means that you like what you are getting for him more.
1: You have to give something to get something, right? Like they wanted Ian Kinsler. I mean, we saw you know the second base market was there was it was basically him and Dozier was mm-hmm. left of the rentals, and Dozier went for a decent price to the Hootie to the Dodgers. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, Dozier went to the Dodgers for a decent price and then they got Kinsler and they they paid a price. You know, they paid potentially two, you know, middle relief types. But if the upgrade at second base when you're a team like they are with the best record in baseball by something like, what, five games or four games? Mm-hmm. And you have eyes set on winning the World Series, you know, that's the price you're going to have to pay to upgrade from like a bull type. For the post, and I'll do that any day of the week when I'm competing, especially when with what Evan revealed, that they're already over the luxury tax, what, $237 number, numbers, so it didn't matter that they acquired him money-wise. So, you know, go for it. Like, right. this is the guy – he's a guy who helps you now. Obviously not now because he's on the disabled list, but, you know, <laughs> he, he can help you. And the prices – it's not like they gave up. They didn't give up. The, the two things I do like about the return is it was two guys – So there was no like third throw in low A or, you know, DSL guy. And it was two AAA guys who we know what they are. You know, they didn't go down and it wasn't like they gave up a package of like, you know, something like Alex Scherf and Danny Diaz or, you know, two lower level guys who we don't know what they are, but they have upside. This was two proof commodities. We know what they are. And it was unclear if they had much of a long term future with the Red Sox or if they did those. That's the type of player that's easier to replace than giving up someone who might not be close to what they could be in the future but could develop into a better player.
0: And, you know, A, trading Ty Butchery and Williams-Harris should not be what keeps you from adding a piece that helps you win a champ. that could potentially help you win a championship this year when you've got a two- or three-year window. And, exactly. And the, the other thing is they're dealing from, I mean, they have a glut of relief pitchers on the 40-man roster. So, again, it's Dave Dombrowski dealing from depth.
1: Well, and it's also not just on the 40-man roster. They have relief help coming. Like They have mm-hmm. two guys who I think are better than both those guys who aren't on the 40-man roster who one of them is 100% going to be up, and I would not be surprised at all if he makes the postseason roster in Travis Lakins. And the other one is Derman Feltman, who we'll probably touch on a little bit in the promotions.
0: Right, right, exactly. And I guess that's probably, as we call it in the business, Ian, a good transition Uh, because you mentioned two guys who were promoted this week. Um, I'm not going to bother breaking it down by date, but just to give the list of promotions and where they're ranked in uh, the current Sox Prospects rankings. Moving up to Pawtucket, on our rankings, the number uh, 7, 10, um, 17, and where do we have Gorst? 50, no, 47, ranked prospects in the system in right-handed pitcher uh, Mike Schwarren, first baseman Josh Occamy, uh, and then right-handed relievers Travis Lakins and Matthew Gorst. Moving up to Portland is the system's new number six prospect on our rankings in third baseman Bobby Dahlbeck. Moving up to Salem is the system's new number 11-ranked player in right-handed reliever Durbin Feltman. Uh, moving up to Greenville from Lowell uh, were the system, a couple of 2018 draftees in, oh, he's number 20 now, isn't he? Uh, this is the number 20 prospect, Jaron Duran, uh, a second baseman slash outfielder who, it looks like he's in the outfield for good now, by the way. Uh, but outfielder Jaron Duran and catcher Cole Cottam. And, uh, you know, another 2018 draftee in and, and catcher, or I guess utility player Lane Milligan to Lowell. And I guess they actually just promoted a couple more draftees to Lowell, nothing too big. But the other really big promotion, which is really more of activating a guy and officially promoting him, um, was shortstop Anthony Flores, who basically the last game he played in the Dominican Summer League was back in, like, June. And he hadn't played since then but had been in Fort Myers because of what was reported as general soreness, which I'm extremely skeptical about. Um, But at any rate, he was officially promoted to the Gulf Coast League on the 31st. So... Lots of movement, Ian. Um, let's start with Pawtucket because you saw a few of the guys who got promoted in uh, Shwaran and Occamy. Uh
1: Yeah, I was there for their AAA debut, uh, debut um, last night. And it was they looked a lot like what I've seen in the past and kind of reinforced my views of them. Um, I guess starting with Shwaran, he was very good for three innings. The first, which coincidentally or not coincidentally, was the first time through the order. And then the second time through the order, he ran into a lot of trouble. And third time through, and he he, he got it out six and a third innings. Um, I'm trying to bring up his final line here. One second.
0: Okay. Well, I, let me interject while you do that. Um, breaking news: Cutter Crawford and Denny Reyes to Salem.
1: Oh, <laughs> we literally were talking about Which we them were before talking we recorded.
2: Yeah, um, um, yeah. That so I guess we can, came we'll, we'll get to. The, in
1: few minutes ago, yeah. in a few minutes, but um yeah, schwaren so he went six in the third innings, gave up seven hits, four runs, one walk, six strikeouts, and so the line isn't great, but it, for, if you look at it, break it down for three innings, he had in his first three innings, he had three innings, zero hits, zero walks, zero runs, four strikeouts, and okay. then over his last it was three three in a third inning, seven hits, four runs, two strikeouts, one walk
0: so we've heard a lot that schwarn's a reliever, and it seems like that's what you saw.
1: Uh yeah I think he could be like a situational like long relief type you know' like someone you can bring in for like three innings, but it's just the second time through the order the stuff really decreased um He came out in ninety one ninety three and then by the, the second third time through, he was down to like eighty nine ninety one so the velo ticked down, and his best pitch is a slider uh slider was plus um and even when he was struggling, he basically just for the second and third time through just started throwing a slider like a fastball like he would open at bats with it, he was throwing a ton of them. Mm-hmm. And the changeup, he only threw probably like five or five to ten for the entire outing. He rarely used it, and he threw one average one, and then the rest were like thirties. So the changeup isn't is still inconsistent, work in progress. Sliders plus fastball in and came out. It was like a it was fifty five pitch, maybe plus if you want to be generous. Um, when he's commanding it, it might play up a little bit because it's got some mm-hmm. sink down in the zone, and, and if he's keeping it down, it is tough to square up. But
0: and, and he's still got that low three quarters arm slot, right? So. Yeah,
1: he's got that low. He's got this little like rock back before he comes forward, and some some funky mechanics. And um, but then it was you know the second and third times, it basically the hitters just stopped swinging at a slider, and the result was they just waited for fastballs, and he gave up six of the seven hits he allowed were off fastballs. All the runs came off hits that had to do with the fastball. Um, the home run, it was a three-run home run to the weirdest prospect I've seen in a while. Really. Astudio um, was just a 90-mile-per-hour fastball right down the middle. Like, you can't do that at the, in the AAA level, let alone the big league level. And so, like, I like Shwaran. You know, I think he could be a very valuable major league contributor. And I wonder if his stuff would take up if he was in the bullpen full-time. You know, if he was throwing one or two innings, I wonder if he'd be, like, 93-94 rather than, you know, 90-92 to or top I got at 93. But I just I just don't, I'm not sure it works as a starter. And granted, this is one one look, like I want to see him again, and maybe he just did not feel for his changeup in this outing. And if he shows me a changeup, maybe I'll give him a better chance. But based on what I saw in this outing, I'm pretty confident in saying he's a reliever long-term. And, um, But I think he could be a pretty decent one there.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's kind of, it, the comparison to me almost is a little bit like a poor man's Masterson or something, just with the arm slot, and it's not, you know, Fastball slider, righty, I don't know.
1: It's, it's just tough to get by at the big league level when you're right-handed with a low three-quarters arm slot with only two pitches, and neither of them is a change-up to get lefties out. Mm-hmm. So Yeah,
0: I'm literally checking his left-right splits right now. Um, okay, re- left-handers are hitting 229, 304, 318 off of him, so I guess that's not bad.
1: No, his splits aren't aren't. His splits aren't bad. No, his splits are fine. But um, it's just it it just the stuff is like the slider's good. I mean, the slider is a legit pitch. Like that's that's a pitch that can get major league hitters out. And he got 14 swing strikes off his slider yesterday. That's a ton. Wow, that is a lot. He only got four off his fastball, Mm -hmm. and so it's like the slider is his go-to pitch. Right. And given how much he threw it, you know that's not surprising but he's just he's going to have to work on its the fastball and the changeup are the two things and um that's going to determine long term and like if the changeup comes around you know maybe it could be like a number 4 number 5 starter but yeah. i would say the the greater chance is that he's a reliever long term
0: moving from mike schwaran to uh a teammate of his who also does actually have issues with splits is josh ackemy who went deep for you in his debut yeah
1: yeah he uh he did a very Josh Ockman game. He struck out, he walked, and he hit a home run. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Um but it's kinda of more of the same with him. He he murders righties. Um I don't know if you have his I do.
0: In Portland this year he hit two eighty three, four seventeen, five fifty one against righties, but against left handers he hit one ninety eight, two sixty five, three twenty one. Um average on balls in play was two ninety seven, so it's not a it's not a yeah. in play luck thing. Uh, you know pop is there when he does make contact but you know 40 strikeouts and 117 plate appearances so that's a um 34% k rate against lefties versus a 27.8% k rate against righties it's so called it
1: 28 yeah and I, I just i don't think he sees the ball very well from lefties for whatever reason because against righties like he he faced um his strikeout actually ironically was against a righty but it was against a guy from like 97 who was a reliever the the twins did the weird opener thing
0: Wait With, in triple uh, A they did that
1: yeah, they was, a, it, was it just
0: a rehabbing guy?
1: Nope, it was a triple A reliever really? um, they had Nick anderson who threw, he threw hard he was like ninety six ninety seven through the first inning and in two thirds, and then they brought in Steven Gonzalez, who's actually a prospect
0: that's what you would um, think they would want Gonzalez to get the work against the top of the order
1: that's nope. weird. <laughs> It was very strange. Um, And Gonzalez then pitched like six innings,
0: five and a third. Yeah. So Nick Anderson threw one and two thirds, and then Gonzalez threw five and a third. Yeah. Strange as hell.
1: Wasn't it? It was really. I was very perplexed. Yeah. Nick
0: Anderson. Yeah, he's he's basically a reliever who started two of his last three, but I mean his innings pitched are all one and two innings.
1: Yeah, he threw wow. I think 30 I'm guessing 30 pitches was his max cuz they took him out at like 29 or something.
0: 32.
1: Or 32, yeah. But um but anyway, but he was like 96 97, so that's like big time velo and his delivery was weird. So that was I they they had a lot of trouble with him when he came out. But um then he, he faced uh his home run also came off righty though and it was it was an oh two pitch, but it was just a hanging changeup. Off of that, uh,
0: Tyler Duffy, who's a major leaguer.
1: Major league uh reliever yeah. for the twins in the past. But uh, yeah, he fell behind, but oh two, 2 his approach, like he knows what he's doing at the plate. And that's the thing that stands out with Occamy, is like he can pick up spin, he strikes out a lot. But it's not because he just doesn't recognize breaking balls or anything. Or, or it's more just he has swing and miss in his like that's just how his swing works. You know, it's a, it's power based uppercut swing. He's going to swing and miss a little bit. But um, it was an 0-2 changeup. He recognized it early. Kept his weight back and just exploded through the ball. Uh, it's three hundred ninety feet, one hundred two exit velocity, um, which it was like an eighty mile per hour pitch. So he kind of he really got around on it. And um, it was in a big situation. I mean, it was a 4-3 game at the time, and he's facing a major league reliever in his AAA debut. And, you know, he had a game-time home run. So that's pretty good. Um, I noticed, actually, defensively, I got a pretty good look at at Occamy. And he still is It's pretty fringy at first base. Um, He he showed off an average arm, and his hands are improved. But he's still a little bit on the stiff side. um, And he had some trouble uh, with balls going to his right, um, reaching across his body. There was one that he deflected up in the air mm-hmm. that he, a play he should have made, but he deflected up in the air and went to the second baseman and thankfully Brandon Phillips was just standing there. So he threw him out. And then, um, there was another one that was a ground ball that he like booted a little bit, but he was able to make the play still. So, I mean, it's kind of like he, he does, he strikes me as a platoon, a, a platoon bat, but I think he could actually be pretty good in that role just cause I really think he can hit right handed pitching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he clearly can in, in this day and age, you know, there is a place in the major leagues for a player who can destroy right-handed pitching and hit home runs.
0: I mean, that's basically, so, yeah, yeah, that's basically so, Daniel Polka, I think, right in in Chicago.
1: Yeah, I was I was just looking at reading Alex Spears' write up of in Baseball America to um, of the midseason Red Sox top ten, and his point his comparison was Adam Lind. Yeah, there you go. So that type of profile. So there is that isn't <laughs>
0: The that is recently something. departed Adam Lind.
1: Yeah, ironically, one time with the Red Sox. So um there is there is, you know, room for that. And I, I just think it's it's gonna be interesting. Triple A is gonna be a good test for him. He's gonna be facing better pitching. And it's just interesting that him and Sam Travis are now at the same level, which yeah. I don't know. I thought it was kind of quirky. But anyway, yeah. yeah, well,
0: it's, it's weird because they've got the two of them at the same level. I mean, you, you see the way that probably plays out. I mean, Travis can play left field. I mean, Travis was already basically splitting time evenly between first base and left field. Uh, so really, Akami is taking Adam Linz at bats. Uh, but the meanwhile, down in in AAA now with the promotion of Bobby Dahlbeck, you've got two third basemen on the roster and Michael Chavis and Dahlbeck, you know who are two. You know even Travis's star has faded a bit, but you've got the number one prospect in the system and a guy who, if he keeps hitting like he has, hell, maybe could be pushing him for that. I mean, he's the
1: guy who's the, the most upside. Yeah, like he can hit the most upside and, and Yeah,
0: and if he if he hits in AA like he was hitting in in Salem. I will give serious thought to putting at that spot this off season in Dahlbeck. Uh, I mean, it seems like the way that works out is you, you know, you get Shavis some at bats at second base and first base. And, you know, the both of them also get some at bats at DH. I guess today's lineup is out and, and Dahlbeck is DHing. Not a problem, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, you get them the at bats. And in theory, I think you hope that Shavis works his way up to Pawtucket.
1: Exactly. Um, Pawtucket infield definitely could use him given half their infielders are in uh, Boston at this point. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, Shavis, he, it, it's been a slow comeback since his injury, but you know, he's starting to come around a little bit. I think, I think he's had a decent couple of games and he's, they, there's enough playing time to go. Like they can both play five or six days a week mm-hmm. at various positions. And also with Dahlbeck, I'm not as concerned about his defense. So if he has to DH like three days a week, that's not the end of the world. No. Whereas like she, I'd rather Shavis get the majority of the reps at third base, Whereas give Dahlbeck a chance to get adjusted and just focus on hitting double-A pitching for a while, I wouldn't be Mm. surprised to see that kind of be like, you know, Shavis plays like four games at third, one at first, one at second, and Dahlbeck plays three a week or something like that.
0: At third, and DH is the other ones, yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, I would not be surprised to see Shavis get the majority of the reps still because he needs the defensive work, but Mm. there's plenty of playing time to go around for them. And as we kind of talked about, Dahlbeck needed the challenge, like he's figured out. Salem to the point where he's hit like twenty eight home runs there. So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We and we talked a little bit about the you know Salem rotation getting some reinforcements today in Denny Reyes and Cutter Crawford. They had basically had a four man rotation uh, coming in today with Brian Mata on the DL. Uh, it's apparently a back issue that's been bugging him for a little while. Um, one thing that I think we had mentioned last episode who one guy who did not, as far as we know so far today, maybe I should check the rest of my emails, um, get promoted is Tanner Houck. Um, I'm not worried about the fact that he didn't get promoted. Are you?
1: No. I mean, he's pitched well for one a month, like let let him continue to get comfortable, have success and reinforce that the mechanics he's back to are working.
0: Right. And and frankly, he's going to start next year in Portland anyway. I cannot imagine that he would start next year in Pawtucket. If you thought he had a chance to start next year in Pawtucket, that might be a reason to rush him to Portland. But the, the the Salem to Portland jump is the biggest jump other than the jump to the major leagues coming up the ladder. So that's one Correct. you need to be really sure about, I yeah. think. Um, and that's also, I guess, another guy that we should mention, another guy who made the jump from Greenville to Salem is Durbin Feltman. seemed like a lot of people, especially on our forums, Ian, were discussing the possibility of Feltman going straight to Portland. Um, I get why he's in Salem. I think it to me, tell me if you agree, it's a similar thing where, you know, we talked a lot about Feldman last time, so we don't really need to get too into it, but look, he's probably, he's not going to pitch in the majors this year. I-, I think that this probably ends any speculation of that. If they thought that he might make it to the majors this year, they would in fact have pushed him to Portland. Um, I-, I think that that's silly. I don't see the need, you know, I don't think he's a guy that you're going to rely on for late inning heroics, so there's no point in bringing him up to pitch the middle innings. Uh, I, next year, he's going to probably start in Portland. So let him go one level at a time to me.
1: I could see him starting in Pawtucket next year, frankly. Really? Yeah. I, I just I think the bigger telling is just how they've used him rather than the level he's at. It's okay. just you're not going to call – As I think I might have mentioned this on the last one. I can't remember that you're not going to call up a guy that you can only pitch every three or four days. Mm-hmm. And that's right. the way they're using him. So – I just, I, I don't, until they, sh- until there's a clear change in his usage patterns, Yeah, it doesn't matter what level he is. Like if he dominates Salem for four innings or five innings, I bet he goes to Portland, mm-hmm. but that won't change what I think in terms of until I see them using him on back-to-back days or pitching, you know, two out of three games.
0: Well, they did do that. I mean, so he, he has had at least one day off between appearance. On, yeah. He's had only one game off between appearances once that was July 14th day off pitched again on the 16th and I think kind of telling on the tellingly on the 16th he gave up two runs had his only walk didn't strike anybody out yeah I, that's actually super telling I'm kind of glad you met you you mentioned this he has given up on the year in 11 innings six hits three of them were in this outing as was his only walk um, and he it's the only outing in which he didn't strike anybody out uh, and he gave up two runs, one of them earned.
1: Yeah, so he's a guy who, like, at this point, given he pitched a long—I don't know how many innings he threw in college this year. I want to say like forty something.
2: Okay, three
1: minutes. No less than that, twenty-four. He yeah. only threw twenty-four innings in college this year, but he's a one-inning guy, and yeah, pitching back to back is something you can't just jump right into. Like that has to develop slowly. And as you said, his numbers—the one time he pitched every other day was not good. Um, other than that, he's, I don't know if you have it up. I think he's had two or three days off in between outings. He's kind of been using his like back role. Mm-hmm,
0: yeah. He's had at least two days off. Like I mentioned. Um, so so just, and, and actually in college, yeah, the 24.1. Well, that's every game that includes, I thought that that would not include like postseason and stuff, but I, I think it does. So that's yeah. interesting.
1: So it's just, he's someone who I just think the usage is, is a better indicator than the level, but cause the stuff like, He's probably going to go and shove in Salem, frankly. His stuff yep. is too good. Like, he is better stuff than any reliever I saw in the Pawtucky game yesterday. Mm-hmm. But granted, I didn't see, like, Travis Lakins, who actually I do want to mention a little bit of something with him um, after this. But so I, I just think that it made sense, though, because he's not going to be challenged and we'll see what happens. But I think next year he's going to get an invite to spring training and we'll see what happens from there.
0: Yeah, um, why don't you mention the point with Lakin?s We got a we're in kind of lightning round territory here. But yeah, yeah. With ahead. Lakin's,
1: I just I want to see how he gets used at Pawtucket. I, it was interesting to me yesterday that he was in the bullpen after pitching the day before because sometimes they don't have the don't guys if they're not going to throw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he was in the bullpen and he was up at one point stretching. So I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing him get into more regulated um, potential, like how he could be using the major league level territory in terms of usage patterns with Pawtucket, because I I genuinely think he could be up in the big leagues this year because his stuff is in a bullpen role is legit. You know, he's up to 98 with that cutter. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of stuff that plays in October. So I would not be surprised at all. if Lakens is up at some point. And I think the indicator will be if they start using him in back to backs and things like that in Pawtucket.
0: Yeah. They haven't used him at back to backs yet, but he has thrown with only one day of rest a number of times and it doesn't appear to have had any appreciable effect on his outcomes. So, yeah, that, that that would be something to keep an eye out for with him. The The problem, I guess, not problem, but the interesting thing with that is, you know, until you get to Pawtucket, you have other pitchers who need work. So it's a lot harder to get guys back-to-back games because if you're yeah. doing that, then another guy is sitting
1: for well, a it's a lot game. more structured. Yeah. The pitching because it kind right. of has to be.
0: Yeah. You know, you might have a guy who's the closer, but otherwise the rest of the guys are just rotating,
2: you know? Yeah.
1: Well, usually the Red Sox seem to do it is they have the starter, then they have a kind of a piggyback guy who goes two or three innings, then they'll ha- either have the closer, yeah. or they ha- and then they always have one guy available who's like the, if you can't finish an inning, we'll bring you in guy. Right. And so, you know. Yeah,
0: I mean, well, especially lower in the minors, I guess, where, you know, I mean, like Greenville until about 40 minutes ago had really seven starters on their in, yeah. their, in their pitching staff.
1: Well, that's the other thing that matters is the piggybacks and right. everything.
0: Right. But anyway, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else we should mention. I mean, maybe briefly. Uh, we, we talked about Duran and caught him last week. Anything to add on the promotion, Ian? I think we kind of saw the the Duran promotion coming. Uh, he is full-time in the outfield, it looks like, right now. Uh, he hasn't played the infield basically since Cole Brandon got hurt, giving him full-time access to center field in Lowell. And yeah, even I mean, in Greenville, he's been playing right field in deference to Kervin Suarez and center
1: his so. athleticism was wasted in the infield. It mm-hmm. makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, and I guess the only other big promotion was Anthony Flores to the GCL. Uh, just I guess a brief mention of Flores. He's a guy who got 1.4 million uh, for on July 2nd of 2017, and this year in the Dominican Summer League, he only played 13 games, but really just raked uh, for a guy playing it at age 17. Uh, in 13 games, 57 played appearances, hit 347, 439, 510. Small sample size, but that's what you want to see out of a guy. Uh, only struck out seven times in those 57 at-bats, and he walked eight. Uh, so that's the right direction where you want to see that. Had one home run. Uh, you know, and, and apparently the reports are that it looks like he can, he'll he be able to stick it short. Why not get him stateside? Makes sense. Just kind of an injury deal with him. And it looked, I think the other guy who probably could have come stateside had he stayed healthy, uh, but instead he broke his ham eight bone and had to have surgery, was Danny Diaz the third baseman who was his teammate on the DSL Red Sox too. I think we'll see him at instructs. I think he might even be in the States already at this point. Ian. But Diaz had six home runs in 26 games, which is just power you don't see at that level. So two guys to keep an eye on really from the Dominican summer league this year.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was Dan Butler got called up.
0: Well, Dan Butler and and, and Renda, uh, but well, we yeah. should mention with Renda the reason he, the other reason he gets called up is I guess Zue Lin has a a rib thing going on. Correct, which is why he has not played since being optioned um, from the major league club. So that's why they wound up going with Renda. So right now, kind of your starting infield in Pawtucket um, at second, third, and short is you know Brandon Phillips at second, Yvonne de at third, and probably Mike Miller at short, uh, and that's it for infielders. Um, well, they just, called, they, up they Whitty. just called up Jansen Witte. Right? Yeah. So Whitty can can probably spot in a third if they need him to, maybe even second. But uh, more likely you would see Hazers move over to second, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yep, a lot of promotion lot action. On. You might What's have up? just heard me kick my desk. Um, there's a <laughs> lot going on. It yes. was, as you said, it was one of the more uh, busy noticeable week. or busy promotion weeks.
0: Busy week. Yeah, of course, here I am. I'm like second week at my new firm trying to keep up with this stuff and a – yeah, it was it was tough, but I did it for you people. I did it for the rock. No, all right, did it for good all you. you guys.
1: Would you um, like a cookie?
0: I, I love cookies. What kind? I uh, have
1: uh, chocolate chip ones in the fridge.
0: You know what I bought this week at Costco? That's delicious. Chocolate covered mango.
1: I've never had chocolate covered mango.
0: It's it's it's. I like mango a lot though. It's, oh, it's horrible, because in a good all way. I in a great, cause all I want now is that like I eat meals just to justify having more chocolate covered mango.
1: <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. All right. Should we move on to the emails? Well, let's do oh, we, no, we have rankings, right? We,
0: we want to fight. Yeah. Um, oh. so I mean, we, we've got our August 1st rankings really, Ian. No, no huge jumps and you guys can all check them out at socks, prospects.com. Um, top five. I think we wound up keeping in the same order ish. Or I think we might have flipped Jake Groom and Tristan Cossas. Um I think we we are planning on hashing out how we want to rank the top five in our next update kind of at the end of the regular season
1: so that'll be a we 'll table that for now
0: that'll be yeah we 'll table that for now. some other smaller movement, which I think kind of lines up with everything we 've talked about on this episode and in past episodes so if you have questions about specific movement in the rankings, there's a post on our forum if you want to check that out at, at, at our forums, which are forum.soxprospects.com. If you go into the so- Sox Prospects discussion, there's a thread, you know, Sox Prospects rankings discussion where uh, Dick Duggan does a great job of um, – of uh, you know, kind of chronicling the rankings movement. Although I think he didn't realize we did a mid-month one in July. But at any rate, if you have questions about any of the specific movements, send them in. But kind of really the biggest mover this month uh, was Ryan Brazier, who's up to thirty-two after being fifty-eight last month. A guy who's really kind of opened a lot of eyes. Oh, where who the heck is this guy? You know, coming in this year. Um, and, and really is, is something that there were articles written about is kind of him or he, he and Tyler Thornburg, the reason they didn't go get a reliever at the deadline. Um, Brazier is a guy who who came up with the through the Angels system, made his major league debut in 2013. He only got nine innings, was OK. Um, but after 2013, he uh, missed 2014 and then uh, spent 2015 in the athletic system, started 2016, uh, was there in 2016 as well, uh, and last year pitched for Hiroshima in, in Japan before coming back stateside this year with the Red Sox. Described to me by one guy, a person within the organization as someone who they really wanted to get and the type of guy that they're not used to being able to get as far as a minor league free agent. They were very high on Brazier, who uh, who turns 31 at the end of this month. So he's 30 right now. Uh, Really has kind of opened a lot of eyes throwing what, 97 in with regularity seems like Alex Cora is kind of starting to trust him with with you know maybe the sixth and seventh inning um, in front of Matt Barnes before Matt, uh, Craig Kimbrell with with Joe Kelly kind of trying to refine himself in Pawtucket in forty and a third innings uh brazier saved thirteen games put up a one thirty four era striking out forty and walking eight again in forty and a third innings uh whip of uh zero point nine two in ten games with the Red Sox now he's pitched eleven innings he's allowed uh six Six Two runs on six hits and five walks, striking out eight. Uh, so the ERA is 164. The whip is a solid, even 1.0. Uh, the slash line against in the majors is 162, 256, 243. So that, for those of you scoring at home, is no PS below 500. You're a bit skeptical, Ian, of him. I, I, that's fine. I get it. Uh, to me, kind of the bigger thing that I want to touch on is something that came up during our... Uh, Really, the three of us were just – we did not have our act together this month in doing the rankings. You don't like the fact that we ranked Ryan Brazier. Um, briefly, no, why is that? Briefly, why is that?
1: Because I don't think 30-year-old 30, 30 you know, minor league journeyman to this point should be discussed in the same sentence as like a 16-year-old who just signed as an international guy. Like, I think it's one thing if it's a player that has been in the system their entire time, they've had injuries or whatever along the way that has slowed down their progression. Like, that's fine. You know, I don't have a problem ranking. I think there's some like 25, 26 year olds, even someone like Esteban Quiroz. He, he's never played in, you know, affiliated baseball before. Ryan brazier has been around the minors for, you know, a decade. And these kind of guys, like they have success at triple A. Some of them do. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're any good. Or, you know, and in Brazier's case, it seems like they might have found something. But at the same time, I don't consider that player a prospect. You know, I know on paper they are, but in terms of the, what we're ranking and what we're going for, I just don't think he should be considered part of our purview.
0: Well, so I guess then the, the kind of follow-up of that is is what to you is a prospect, not in like terms of some kind of – because let's face it, there's going to be an arbitrary cutoff no matter what, right? Because we can't just use age because if we were just using age, I mean, we would still be ranking like Mookie Betts, right? I mean, the guy is only – Well, no. Um, the, well, but I'm just saying like we can't just use age like full stop without anything else because we if we were doing that, we would still be ranking Raphael Devers. We might
1: still well, be no, ranking because they, they've, exceeded, their, they've exceeded their prospect eligibility in
0: terms of – And their that's bats what and I numbers. was literally getting to if you would listen.
1: No, well, I don't <laughs> want to listen because this argument's dumb because I'm winning, so keep going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but I'm saying – so you can't just – I'm saying without anything else. You can't just use age, right?
1: Yes, I, we use, I agree with We that.
0: use playing time in the majors to kind of say, OK, at this point, that is admittedly a bit arbitrary – this guy is a major leaguer, right? There's a point at which we say, okay, Brian Johnson is now a graduated major league pitcher. Even though we knew he wasn't getting optioned back down, we knew he wasn't getting sent back down to the minors. We knew he was up, but, you know, we waited for him to pass some kind of threshold before graduating him.
1: Well, and that's, I'm fine with that.
0: And that's fine. But I'm just saying, so I'm just, I'm I'm starting from the top. But at some point, so do you think we should go back to having an age limit? Do you think that, like, In addition, because basically there's really no age limit that we enforce. We, you know, if you go to our about page on the website, we we have our prospect eligibility disclosure there, I guess, if you want to call it that. And what we use is rookie status, um, which is once a player has more than 138 bats in the majors, has pitched more than 50 innings, um, or, and one that we fudge a little bit, has been on an active major league roster for more than 45 days, not including September call-ups. Um, we use our discretion with those because sometimes a guy has been on the, like, you know, Marco Hernandez for a while, for example, like I think technically was a rookie, um, because he was on the major league, but no, maybe that's a bad example, but guys will still, guys will have enough major league service time. Like I think Zue Lin, for example, is an example. I think technically he's not, he's exhausted his rookie eligibility because he's been on major league roster for more than 45 days, but he still hasn't gotten 130 at bats because when he's up, he sits at the bench a lot. Um, So we use an arbitrary kind of, you know, case by case basis there. Do you think we should, you know, we, we we in the past used to use 26 years old as a cutoff. Do you think we should go back to using age as a cutoff? And and why do you think that's important if that's what you think we should use? Or do you think it's something else we should use?
1: I don't think we should use age. I, I just think that if, it is a player that isn't developed by the Red Sox. So if it's a minor league free agent who is not an international guy, so if it's like a minor league free agent coming from another affiliated team, Mm -hmm. if they're over the age of 27 or 20, I would say probably 27, I don't think they should be ranked because those guys, you see it every year. They go out and sign, you know, five, six, seven, eight of those guys. Mm -hmm. They come in. Some of them are decent, you know, have good years in triple A. Some of them don't. They usually move on after a year. One or two of them will get called up on emergency basis. But that's not like that's not a prospect to me. That person, I that person wasn't developed by the Red Sox. You know, they, they were doing stuff with other teams. That's and they came, and they were signed to be a minor league filler. They weren't signed, you know, to be anything. And they, you know, some of them do turn out, and when that's that's great. But in terms of what we do, I just don't think that's something that's within our purview.
0: Do you think that we should be ranking William Cuevas?
1: Yes, because he was with the Red Sox originally. Like, okay. it's a player that's come up through So the, the fact that he
0: spent one year in the Detroit system doesn't matter but, to you? No, it's... it's so what's it, the difference?
1: The difference is he was developed by the Red Sox. And okay. I also don't think William Coyle should be ranked, frankly, anyway. I don't think I have a Well, ranked. but I'm saying, like, if but,
0: if he were rankable.
1: But, yeah, like, I just... I, I don't think... Like, he's someone that we've seen their entire development. You ranked
0: him 62nd in the system, by the way.
1: Which is month. not ranked in our top 60. Well, but, I mean which is not ranked in our top it's 60. It's just barely outside. I'm a math guy. But, um, <laughs> um, but I, like he was with Like he's someone I've seen, we've seen him since the beginning. Like we've seen his entire development. Yes. He went away for a year, but he came back and that's like the same, that's someone we know. Brian brazier is someone who's 30, he's 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Like he's obviously, it's a great story. The fact that they, you know, he's pitched in Japan. He's pitched all over the, all over the, for a bunch of different affiliates, LA, Oakland, actually really just two. That's surprising. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's pitched you know for the Angels for Oakland. He's oh, got sure. a cup of coffee in the big leagues in 2013. Like a guy who got a cup of coffee in the big leagues in 2013 and just now signed in 2018. Come on. There's well, no reason for us to rank him.
0: And I guess so I guess the kind of just kind of the, the thing that I'm working us towards is what do you think the goal of a prospect ranking on on soxprospects.com, I guess specifically, should be? Like what 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 information are we trying to convey? to our readers. And kind of what I'm getting at here is I want us to kind of put this out there, and I'm really interested to hear what our listeners think and what they want to read.
1: I think it's – okay, sorry.
0: No, but that's fine. I'm I'm about to throw it to you. But it's just kind of like getting back to the the question is what do you think the goal of conveying a ranking of 60 players
1: is? To identify the top prospects in the system talent-wise? Be it for either for future with the Red Sox or for trade prospects, and I think that's the thing. Like a guy like Ryan Brazier doesn't have trade value. Like they're not going to go. He's not someone who like in a trade at the deadline you're going to trade Ryan Brazier. Like but, that's like that's. I mean, and and he's going to be up with the Red Sox up and down this year, and maybe they re-sign him next year, or more likely he moves on to another team next year. Like I just don't.
0: Well, if he's on the forty man roster, they can decide to keep him.
1: Like Yeah, but I would not be I mean okay you're could, right. Yeah, I guess he's got all his all, all his options and everything. But well, even
0: if he even if he options are not uh, he may not have his options actually, I need to check that. But uh bah, 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 Ryan Is, Brazier Brazier, God you got me saying Brazier. He's got two left. He he was yeah. optioned in twenty thirteen.
1: But I mean to I mean, me it's I don't I don't sorry. think that's that's like would you, I would much rather use the time that, like, we're discussing a guy like Ryan Brazier to talk about, like, Brandon Howlett's GCL stats. And I think that's what people care about. That's that's a prospect. Like, a 30-year-old is not.
0: Well, but here's the thing. is Brazier's got value to the Red Sox, maybe they didn't trade him, but in theory they didn't trade for someone because they have him. I mean, right? He's a player who can come up and provide value to the major league club.
1: Well, that's fine, though. Then they can go—you can watch him on Nesson. Like, I don't care. He's 30. Like— <laughs> He's a man,
0: he's 40.
1: Yeah, it's like he's a 30-year-old, like, I mean, I I don't want to pick on the guy, but, like, in terms of what we do, that's, he's just not, like, I don't think he's relevant in the Sox prospect sphere. Like, I see, like, like I saw Fernando Rodriguez yesterday, who's the same age as him, right? Or no, he's actually 34. Like, you see those guys in AAA all the time, and just because they put up good stats and get a cup of coffee doesn't mean they should be discussed in rankings.
0: But if you think that they are better than that, like, if you, like, I'm not saying randomly throw Fernando Rodriguez Jr. into the rankings. What I'm saying is if you think Ryan Brazier is good enough, that he should be ranked 32nd or wherever we have him right now in the rankings in terms of talent, right? If you're just ranking players in the, I don't know how
1: I don't, I've never seen him. So I don't like, I could see
0: him on Nesson. You just said that.
1: Exactly. I've never seen him in person though, which is how I like to evaluate guys. Have you seen
0: Esteban Quiroz in person? Yes. Okay. How many times?
1: Uh, one game plus spring training. Okay. And I've talked to scouts about him.
0: So could you have talked to scouts about Ryan Brazier?
1: Uh, yeah, but no one ever talks about Ryan Brazier because he's 30 years old. Estor Juan Carreros is different because he's an international guy who's never played in America.
0: But what's the difference? Why is Brazier different?
1: Well, right? Esther Juan is 26, first off. That's a huge difference.
0: Okay. But second but of s- all,
1: he's never played in the States. He's an unknown quantity. Ryan Brazier is a known quantity. Brazier, sorry, I'm going to get that wrong the entire time. You are, he's, he's He's someone who has been around, he's jumped around, he was in Japan. Like, just because he came back, I, I don't think...
0: I mean, to me, the thing is, like, so Dahlia Hinojosa.
1: Okay. International guy, though. I I, I, don't, I don't consider guys... You who don't finish. think they should
0: have ranked... Oh, you do think they should have ranked here. So what's the difference I, between getting your experience from ages 20 to 26 or whatever in the Angels and the athletic system or in Cuba? Like, what is the difference?
1: Just a like, sec. I don't think I ever did. We ever rank Iniesta? I don't yeah, remember. Yeah,
0: we absolutely did. Where's yeah, it? he um he, he ranked as high as twenty-six. We ranked
1: him as high as twenty-sixth in the system. Eight. He signed his 28. He signed at eight <laughs> As, for his age 28. I, 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 just, I, I, have a, I have a distinct thing in terms of, and, and, and he's someone who, would, for me, it would have been he'd never pitched for anywhere but the Red Sox. So he came into the Red Sox. I, don't know, I'm I, guess, Vaughn, I'm, he, I
0: guess I'm asking why, whether or not you've pitched for the Red Sox, Matt. I mean, he hasn't pitched oh, for the it, Red Sox. You're saying we should rank him. I mean, neither has Espan quiroz
1: No, it's in terms of I, they never, they've they never played stateside. That's my like, I, I just don't think that guys who have jumped around to a bunch of organizations and then finally stick and are like in over the age of, you know, 27, 28, whatever. I just don't think in terms of what our what we're trying to accomplish here, have, they're not they're not relevant. I just don't. I, I just Ryan, don't think
0: if Ryan Brazier had come straight from the Los Angeles Angels organization, you think that's different or no?
1: What when he was 25 years old?
0: No, let's say now, let's say he had just stuck around. He's like, let's say, you know, he's their version of, I don't know, Cuevas without the one year in Detroit, right? Like,
1: what do you mean? So if he just came from the angels to the Red Sox?
0: Yeah. Would you rank him?
1: No, I I just don't think a 30 year old should be ranked in, in, in his, from a guy who is a minor. And and to be clear,
0: you're you're saying this, not because you don't think he's good enough to be ranked in the top 60. You're just saying, take him off the board.
1: Yes. I just don't think it's fair comparing minor league free agents who are over the age of, like, 28 to guys to true prospects, to 16-year-olds like Eduardo Lopez. Or trying to rank them, I think, is a fool's errand because they are what they are. But, like, but how 99% is- of them are what they are. You know, they're going to come in for a year, like Ryan Court, come in for a year or two, hit decently, and then go sign with another team. And just because they have a good year or, like, you know, they get a cup of coffee doesn't mean that's, like – that's just, I just don't think in terms of what we're trying to accomplish, I just don't see the value in ranking guys like that. Whereas Esteban Quiroz is a 26 year old international player who's never played in America, so no one knows anything about him in that sense. Like, and, and he's an international signing, he comes in, he hits well, there's some upside there. Guys like, and then you compare. But and then, how
0: is that <laughs> easier to compare him to Anthony Flores than comparing Brazier?
1: Because he, he's an unknown quantity. He's never pitched, he's not like a minor league free agent. Like, I just don't, I guess, I guess maybe I'm biased against minor league free agents in the sense that I just don't think for what we're doing, they have, they should be ranked. That's my argument.
0: Well, you're I a just, f- you're a free agentist, obviously.
1: I just don't care. Like, we, <laughs> they sign like 15 minor, they sign like 25 minor league free agents every year. And most of them, like, are, you know, they have, they can have great careers. You know, they're solid organizational players, but. That's and that's fine. That's a very good career. You know, that's very successful. That's better than 99.9999% of baseball players in the world. But in terms of what we're doing, I just don't think they're relevant. I'd rather devote the time and the discussion to guys who are actual prospects, who are guys that are coming through the system, and actually, you know, have who, you know, just as stuff. little about. I mean, I would disagree with that. I would say that if you look yeah. in the system right now, we, we've we seen almost Except for the international guys, we probably put eyes on 90 percent of the system.
0: Right, but I'm saying a guy like Brandon Howlett. Okay, we knew he got we know he's drafted this year. We know that he was committed to Florida yeah, State. Just, we know it's he's it's hitting it's well. A world in,
1: prospect. That's, that's a prospect. That's not, I understand I, that. I'm
0: not saying we shouldn't rank it, but I'm saying as far as devoting time, like oh, we don't I, know anything about him because we haven't put eyes on him yet. Yeah. Whereas that, I can go watch Brazier on Essen.
1: But he's thirty. I don't care. Like he's not a prospect to me. I don't care. Th- I, frankly, what it comes down to is I just don't really care. Like for thirty, like a thirty-year-old guy who they're gonna go out next year and sign four more guys who throw in the mid nineties, who are kind of like him. We'll see if one of them sticks. And I just don't think that that for rankings purposes in baseball terms, fine. Like that is like I'll evaluate in terms of baseball terms. I just have a problem with ranking them in our rankings. And I don't. I don't see what, like I you're. I just don't – why do we care about guys like that? Is, why should we care? Well, T- to explain me, to me why anyone should care about where we rank Ryan Brazier. I would think people would much rather care about wh- where we rank Eduardo Lopez, where we rank someone like Brandon Howlett, than where we rank Ryan Brazier. A, because
0: for one thing, ranking a guy like Ryan Brazier moves one guy out of the top 60
1: prospects. But well, he fr- shouldn't be in like the top 30 and like I just uh,
0: – He's not. He's 32, but the point stands. But to me, it's – if, if – if, and again, you're talking about taking a guy off the board based on a category, not saying that he's not good enough to be no. ranked in those players.
1: No, I don't. I, he could be good enough to rank in those players. Right. I just don't think minor league free agents from other organizations po- should be ranked.
0: And to answer your question, I think we should rank him if we think he is able to impact the major league roster more than, say, the guy we have ranked number 33. Right, but got... I
1: disagree with a bunch of guys behind. Like you think, well, you right? Think...
0: In your individual rankings, and, you no, might have in it different, of, and, and that's fine.
1: No, but also in terms of like a lot of the way I base rankings is also in terms of it's based on how I evaluate the players, and also I take into account what I consider trade value of a player. Would you in a trade if you're going to tall the Red Sox? Would you rather have John Martinez or Ryan Brazier?
0: Potentially Brazier, absolutely. If you don't think that oh. John, Marti- John Martinez is going to throw strikes above Salem, which until about a what, three, three, four weeks ago
1: was a question. Do you rather have Brandon Howlett or Ryan Brazier in a trade? Potentially
0: Brazier, if that's what my major league team that's trying to win a World Series this year needs.
1: No one's going out and trading for Ryan Brazier. You're going to sign him off the free agent wire.
0: I mean, they were yeah, you're going to sign him off the free agent wire, but there were teams competing for him.
1: I mean, that's fine. That's, that's good. Like, let him go to the Red Sox. I don't care. I just don't think he should be ranked. Like, that's...
0: I understand like, that.
1: That's... I just don't... I, I personally and if like you guys I mean you and Mike have both both say you disagree, so whatever. I don't I mean it's it's a moot point at this because nothing's gonna change. But I just I'm not gonna rank those guys going All right.
0: forward. I think we said our piece. Everyone, podcast at socksprospects.com. I'm curious to hear what people think about this. Um, just you know, give us your thoughts. What do you think? Thirty year old minor league free agents, should they be ranked or shouldn't they and why? Um, anyway, that's a good uh transition, I think Ian. Let's get to some emails and get out of here. Alright, uh, sound good to you? We could be friends again? Sure. Please. I'll buy you a soda.
1: Let's go. Come on.
0: All right, fine. Um all right, our first email again, podcast at prospects.com comes from um our longtime patron and uh almost kind of like an unofficial third member of the podcast at this point, Lendell Martin. And Lendell says, with the Red Sox being close to the $237 million mark that would increase the tax penalties and move their first draft pick back 10 spaces, do you think that that could lead to fewer September call this season in an attempt to stay under the line? I've seen different reports on whether or not they already went over, but I don't think they would get money back in the Kinsler deal unless it was to keep them under. Um, Ian, you're saying that Evan Drellick has reported that they are over?
1: Yeah, he, I think it was last week. I mean, I can try and find the article, but he said they're already over. So it, I don't think it matters.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, I, I, uh, would it matter? I mean, I just can't see them being so close to the line that September cops would matter because keep in mind, September Collips are getting a prorated, um, you know, one-month salary at the Major League minimum, basically. So it's what, uh, was this a six-month season? So it's like one-sixth yeah. of five hundred k.
1: Well, here's the article from July 29th. Sources Red Sox to go over a luxury tax threshold of $237 million. That was before the Kinsler acquisition. Um, and it basically said, the Red Sox as presently constituted will finish above baseball's highest luxury tax threshold in 2018. Sources with knowledge of the team's payroll told NBC Sports Boston. So if they're already over, like it doesn't matter. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's see. Red Sox payroll spreadsheet has them at 243. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They're already over. It doesn't matter. They're
0: already matter. over. So it's over.
1: It's done. And that also, that number, like you have to remember that whatever the payroll is, that doesn't take into account uh, the yeah. bonuses from playoffs and everything that aren't factored in, mm-hmm. which all count towards the luxury tax though.
2: Yeah. So they're over. And- Yeah. Yeah.
1: So they're, they're, they're toasted that regard. So they're going to be moving back 10 spots in the draft and giving up somewhere between about, we were talking about it before, like 450 to 550,000. And that's the impact that people should care about. No one should care if the Red Sox owners have to spend more money. I never understood the argument why teams care, why, why fans care how much the owner spends. Like, it's not your money. Like, who cares? Right. But it
0: raises ticket prices.
1: It doesn't, though. Like, right. the tickets are not going to change if they are over the luxury tax or under. The The only tangible impact that matters, especially in our world, is going to be that, you know, they miss out on $500,000 in bonus money, which is basically the equivalent of signing someone like Nick Northcutt in mm. the 11th um, this year. Which is, I mean, and Northcutt's off to a really good start with, I think, right? Still, maybe?
0: Yeah. And also your first round pick is 10 spots worse. You go from, I mean, if they win the World Series, they're going to go, they're going to go from picking 32nd with their first pick to picking 42nd with their first pick.
1: Yeah. And this year, actually, we should mention this too. It is going to be, it's going to be different. It's not 30 because there's three unsigned first round picks from last year. And all of those picks are made immediately after the slotted number of where they were. And so that means that two of them were the the eighth pick and the 25th, which means there's going to be the ninth pick and then the 26th pick or 20. Yeah. So it's going to push back the Red Sox two spots. Basically.
0: The last time the Red Sox didn't pick until four, until 42 or later was 2007 when they had to give up the number 20 pick for signing. Any guesses? Julio Lugo.
1: Oh, I was going to say like, Oh God. Fun fact. I actually caught a foul ball from Julio Lugo to Red Sox game once. Nice. Good for um, you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so their first pick
0: that year was in the supplemental first round at number 55. When, but I think when they that, picked Nick that, Hagenon.
1: Um, that draft, though, illustrates the difference, though, because back in 2007, they could, you could take whoever you want and give them big money. So they took Phil exactly. Middlebrooks in the fifth round, Anthony Rizzo in the sixth round. They got Ryan right. Presley in the 11th round. Mm-hmm. They took but didn't sign Justin Grimm in the 13th round. They got Hunter Strickland in the 18th round. They took, yes, Grandal in the 27th round. Drake Drake
0: Britton at 23. Don't forget that. Yeah. They didn't sign Grandal and but
1: Correct. But they're both big leaguers. Like that was when you could just load up on high school guys. You can't do that anymore. So 500K, I mean, that's a decent amount of bonus, especially when you're picking at the end of the first round. So your bonus is already going to be much lower. Or your bonus pool is already going to be much lower. Mm -hmm. So their cap total is going to be something, you know, it's going to be around 5 million and maybe a tick over. Mm -hmm. and you knock off 500k off that you're looking at probably closer to like 4.2 4.5 at most million bonus total like it's going to change your entire draft strategy in that regards like you're you're probably going to have to go underslot with your first pick if you want to take anyone those picks so it's going to be interesting what happens next year with that in that regards
2: yeah
0: yeah i mean it's and it's and this is a system that really could have used the infusion of talent right
1: I mean, we're seeing it with this year's draft. It's it's like mm-hmm. guys like Costas is not is in the top. You know, he was two point five million. I, what was the number we came up with? It's like one point eight about is what their first pick's going to be now, or one point seven.
0: I'm sorry, what?
1: What is their first pick going to be like? If it's assuming it's like forty to forty two, it's like one point eight total for the, the slot number.
0: Oh, the slot. Um, draft slots. Um, so, well, based on this year's numbers, um, pick, okay. So the latest, their first pick could be is 42. That's 1.7. Yeah. Um, if they're at like, say 36, that was just under 2 million.
1: Yeah. So you're looking at like 1.7 to 2 million at most. Whereas if they pick
0: 32 would be 2.1, 20, I mean, they probably wouldn't pick later than like 30. Well,
1: the- well, the earliest they could pick. Well, the latest they could pick is thirty-two. The earliest they could pick. Let's say they were bounced in the first round. It's like what 27? because they'd have yeah, the best. They'd they have, have the, the best record of all those teams eliminated. So
0: that would be like two point four, two point yeah. five,
1: which is still. I mean, so they're gonna. It's gonna be a noticeable cap difference. And well, and
0: it's ten. It's ten players that are gone.
1: Yeah, and ten more players. So this. I mean, it's gonna be. It's gonna be interesting, especially considering their international signings too this year. It's been a, been an interesting window. In terms of they signed one big guy over a million, and other than that, they've only signed a few other guys around 500K, and they have a bunch of room left. So, mm-hmm. who knows what's going on there?
2: Right,
0: right. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Lendl. Our next question comes from Patrick. Um, Patrick asks, oh, hello. Um, Patrick asks, could you and Ian talk a bit about Denny Reyes and explain why his current write up describes him as having fringe average command and control? Uh, and then he says a bunch of other, f- well, I, I'll read it. Uh, so I assume this is simply because neither of you have seen them since around one year ago and you just have not had a chance to update his report based report based on firsthand evaluation. You might also talk a bit about how a lower ranked prospect like Reyes might be valued more highly by Dombrowski than someone like Beeks, who due to his age has less of an unknown quantity. And I don't mean the second part of this as exclusive to Reyes, but more in a general sense of how rankings do not always correspond with the way a club might value prospects. Um, Thanks for the question, Patrick. First of all, I I read the whole thing to mention. um, Reyes' report has recently been updated, as have a bunch of reports. If you go to socksprospects.com slash scouting.htm. Do you have to put the HTM now? I'm curious. No, you don't. Okay, socksprospects.com slash scouting. That's how this website works. Um, We have updated a bunch of scouting reports since, like, the beginning of July, um, and Reyes' report was updated July 3rd, so I'm not quite sure. Try, try hitting refresh on your browser, Patrick. Um, his report. No, no, had, no.
1: It's a, it, says solid, it says the command thing. Well, it, 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 it says
0: solid average control fringe average command.
1: Yeah, and I think. Which is different
0: than what he put. His, his said fringe oh, average that? command and control.
1: Oh, okay. Gotcha. So we yeah, updated it. I, I think. But yeah, get to what you're going to get to. The two things are that. You, you have to separate command and control, which we did in that regards. And he throws he, – he doesn't walk anyone, so that's definitely control is there. Mm-hmm. But you often remember that just because you can throw strikes in Greenville doesn't mean you're going to be able to throw strikes as you move up the ladder or like command profile, same thing. And he's given up 11 home runs in 120 innings in Greenville. That's very bad.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I For- was going to say too the other thing uh, is that when you say throw strikes – it's not like he's going to lose his control. It's that they need to be better strikes or yes, else they're that's going it. to get hit.
1: You need to throw quality strikes, yes. and that's manned, And red flag to me is 11 home runs in Greenville. Mm-hmm. 11 home runs in 120 innings against Greenville hitters. That means you're missing your spot. Mm-hmm. And you're giving up, you know, and the higher you get, that's going to make hitters pay. And given his stuff profile, I just, I'm just have questions long term about how that's going to play. And I just don't, I'm not sure the command is going to be there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's an interesting guy. He's definitely moved up because he almost kind of has to. Um, but, and I
1: think that there is, that is a misconception is that don't look at walks and talk about command. That's not, they're not the same thing. Like a walk rate gives you an idea of control, but mm-hmm. it does not give you an idea an in, uh, in, like insight into a guy's command profile.
0: Right, right, right. Exactly. I mean, you know, his, his home runs per nine isn't awful, but you know, if if you narrow it by like guys, who, let's see, guys who've thrown forty innings this year. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about relievers who are ahead of him. If you if you narrow it to guys who've thrown sixty innings, he's eh, kind of middleish of the pack, I guess, Ian. I don't know. It, it's. I don't know that that's horrible. Is eleven home runs?
1: I think it's in terms of Greenville, it is given the level of competition. Like If you look at uh, most of the other guys, the top two are Stankiewicz and Dedger, who are Pawtucket, Portland guys. Mm -hmm. You have Hildemar Requena. Who's had a brutal year. Who's just been terrible. Quavos is Pawtucket again. And then Denny Reyes.
0: Yeah. That's a total home runs, but he's also thrown a whole bunch of innings. I mean, yeah, here. I'm curious now. Uh, Home runs per nine. This is riveting, riveting radio. Yeah, if you look at the top guys who are home runs per nine, it's like, okay, relievers, reliever, reliever, reliever. The, the, it's Trey Ball, Florentino, Adam Lau, Cori, Pimentel, Fernando Rodriguez, Hildemar, Raquena. Um, oh, did not mean to do that.
1: If you for, take out, though, yeah. Oh, for sorry. guys,
0: for home runs per nine, for guys who've thrown 50 innings, it's Raquena, Jimenez, Stankiewicz, Cuevas. But then you've got, like, Jalen Beeks was over one. Emmanuel De Jesus. Tanner Houck is, I mean, Tanner Houck is basically
1: two different pitchers, but yeah, I don't really, his numbers are weird.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. That, I don't know that. I think that the home run number is, it's not good, but it's, yeah. I don't know that. It's I, just, I, just, I just, I just, I just have flag. questions
1: about mm-hmm. the command still. So yeah, Yeah. fair enough. Um,
0: but yeah. And like I said, if, if, if you're, it might not be a bad idea folks to hit refresh when you're on a player's bio page, but thanks for the question, Patrick. Um, our next question comes from Alexander and, uh, uh, he says, Hey, fellas, I have a question about development of young starting of young pitching, particularly in the Red Sox system. Who do you think has the greatest effect on a pitcher's development in the Red Sox farm system? Is it the Salem pitching coach, Portland pitching coach, Brian Bannister or Pedro in spring training, etc.?" I worked for Salem while I was going to school and saw Paul Abbott working with Kopech, Stank, Ball and Ty, presumably Buttry. Um, It seems like our homegrown starters aren't successful in the majors. Erod seemed to develop mostly in the Orioles system. Owens and Ball failed to launch. Buckles and Masterson seemed to have trouble with long-term progress. I wondered if we've had guys in in significant positions not helping our draftees develop or if we aren't scouting youth and drafting well. Thanks for all you do. Been following since the days of Moss, Murphy, and Anderson. Alex, thanks for the email. Um, I guess for the one thing, I mean, this gets to something that we've been talking about a lot, Ian, which is just... You know, the chicken-egg debate of development versus scouting on the pitching, their inability to develop pitching. And I know, you know, they're trying to change a lot of what they do, in part because they have access to more things like track man data, and in part just trying to think about what they do, you know, move guys to the bullpen earlier if they are, in fact, bullpen arms, you know. Do, you know, do things like try and change Tanner Houck's entire arsenal, right? Um but in terms of who has the most significant effect i mean we talked about guys obviously there's banister you know the team's pitching coach there's also ralph truel the uh rovick pitching coordinator um i don't know what are your thoughts
1: i think it varies from pitcher to pitcher because you just don't know I, pitching pitchers are kind of it's strange in that regards that you don't know what's going to click mm-hmm. and i feel like it can just yeah it just you know it's like situational dependent on what level you're at. Maybe it's, you know, you're struggling at one level and the pitching coach there helps you out or mm-hmm. during spring training, you're struggling and the roving coordinator helps you out, which is Ralph Truel. Mm-hmm. Um, or I, I think it just varies and it's hard to nail down a specific person. identify them as the, you know, the go-to in that regards right. because it, I, I wasn't a pitcher back in the day, but it seems like just from having playing experience that, you know, there's a lot of different voices talking to pitchers and trying to help them out. And, you know, you, as I said, just never know which one is going to click and what's the one that's going to make the difference. Right. So Right. It yeah. could be anyone. I mean, the one
0: I always go back to is Jonathan Papelbon learning a split fingered fastball from Kurt Schilling in spring
1: training. Yeah, exactly. It could even be other players. Yeah. You hear a lot about like guys like learning pitches from their teammates or whatever. So.
0: I mean, maybe they learn it from Pitching Ninja on Twitter, right? I mean, yeah.
1: So it's just it's hard to nail down a specific person, but that and that's I think also though why you see each level as a pitching coach. Then you have guys like Bannister, Dave Bush, who travel and see all the affiliates and are working with them, and then you have Ralph who coordinates the whole pitching operation, and then you have you know more roving instructors. And during camp, as they said, people, you see like Pedro. Pedro, Keith Folk, Louis tion like all those guys are in camp working with the guys. So, well,
0: Folk is kind of like a roving relief pitcher instructor, actually. Oh, is he really? Yeah, yeah, I didn't, he, real, I didn't yeah, realize he he's was fully back with York. Yeah, yeah, he's been back with them for a couple of years now Gotcha. Um, as a roving relief pitcher instructor. I don't know that he's like constantly on the road, but yeah. he does travel to the affiliates and work with the relievers. So, um, yeah, it could I mean, a number of voices can help. I mean, sometimes you can get too many cooks, but – you know, you never know what is going to click for a guy. And and this is a thing that's really in a state of flux right now. You have things like driveline, what's it called, pitch editing or pitch development. Um, I always, I never get the.
1: I thought it was like driveline baseball academy or something. Well,
0: right. But I'm saying the, the, the um, theories behind it. It's.
1: Uh, oh, well, there's, there's the a lot of like weighted balls and stuff like that.
0: Pitch design. Thank you. Pitch design. Yeah and like um, so
1: slow pitch, or yeah, low slow shutter speed, speed cameras, cameras and everything. Yeah,
0: slow speed cameras, rotation balls, you know, tunnel pitch tunneling, things like that. I mean, you know, really kind of this is the this is money ball right now.
1: Well, there's more information now available than ever for pitchers. And, you know, it depends what you're willing to take advantage of, as you said, like going up to Driveline, or, you know, you've got the guys who go home and work with their pitching instructor that they've been working with since they've been, you know, 10 years old or whatever.
0: Yeah. I mean, for those like, of you listening, you have listening, a bunch of guys. Yeah. For those of you listening who are on Twitter, follow, I think it's Pitching Ninja. Is that what it is, Ian?
1: He threw, he had a Blake Trinan GIF or GIF, GIF, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a lot sin- of his sinker his his sinker yesterday was so filthy. It was yeah. like ninety-eight, like look like a change-up. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's Twitter.com slash pitching ninja or at pitching ninja on Twitter. It's Rob Friedman and he's basically like he's the guy that does he does gifs or gifs of uh depending on whether or not you enjoy freedom, uh, of pitchers. And sometimes it's just of one pitch. Sometimes he has this really neat thing where he'll overlay the fastball and the breaking balls, like the, one of the top ones right now is when he did today of Jake DeGrom, a 97-mile-per-hour fastball and a 93-mile-per-hour slider overlay oh,
1: slowed so down. It's disgusting. 90, a slider at 93? Yeah. I've seen like eight people in the system throw more than 93 the entire year. Yeah,
0: and of course the, 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 the batter is uh, – who's who's five in Atlanta? Uh, Freeman.
1: Camargo. Oh, no, Freeman. Freeman. Is it
0: Freeman? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it's Freeman just looking silly on one of the yeah. two. I mean he's taking one and he's swinging and missing it. the uh, probably the slider. Um it's it's gross. But yeah, follow yep. him. And it, it I mean it really, you know, launch angle is kind of like the one that's made it to the mainstream, but pitch tunneling and and pitch design is sort of the thing that's that's kind of next. Um, and that's, well, that's launch
1: angles is, is because of like, it's guys like Joey Batista, Mac or not Joey Batista, JD Martinez. I don't know why I said Batista, uh, Max Muncie, like guys like that, or mm-hmm. Daniel Murphy a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. like, you know, change the launch angle in their swing and you're seeing the results.
0: Right. Right. So, yeah, but thanks for the question, uh, Alexander. We appreciate it. Uh, our last question comes from a couple of questions from Bob. Um, he has a couple of questions. First, he says, I've never seen him, but I don't get why CJ Chatham is at number eight. Based on your write-up, he seems like a limited utility player at best, and he's 23 in Salem. Why not move up younger players with more upside, maybe Alex Scherf? Uh, Ian, you want to take that one?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple with Jad, and you can play shortstop. And shortstop in the major league level is not very—the bar is very low. And so if you can play shortstop and you have a chance to hit a little bit, even if there's no power, that is, like— a top 10 prospect, especially in a system like the Red Sox, that isn't good.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think we also just have this habit of like idealizing guys who don't have a lot of, I mean, there's a thing called prospect fatigue, right? Where once a guy's been around for a while, you're sick of him. And so you want Mm -hmm. like kind of the hot new toy, right? So you think like, oh, Alex Scherf, he's got 47 professional innings to his name. You know, let's, you know, why isn't he ranked higher? It's like, well, those 47 innings weren't great. And we've seen him in the spring, and we have him ranked where you think he belongs, you know? Um, Well, and I think a
1: lot of it, too, is, like, people get a And I do this sometimes. They get tunnel vision and looking at ceiling. Mm -hmm. And when you're taking – like, ceiling is all well and good. But if your chances of reaching that are, like, 1%, like, that's – you know, I'd much rather have a guy like Chatham who I'm pretty comfortable saying is a utility guy and maybe has a chance of being, like, a fringy stack, like, starter, second division starter type. Mm Mm-hmm. Than a guy who has like a one percent chance of being a major league starter,
0: right, right. And, and it is kind of I mean, look, if we were doing the rankings based only on upside, your top three would be probably be some combination of like Shavis, Casas, and and Dahlbeck, right? And you wouldn't, I mean, you know, well, if Mata, you're going straight uh, up, groom probably groom one,
1: yeah. No, it's it's groom, groom one. If you're yeah, on going right. straight upside, it's groom. Dahlbeck and Casas probably or no yeah. probably Danny Diaz or Flores or something just yeah. we haven't seen them I, idea but yeah and you would in be terms ignoring of
0: the chances of hitting that ceiling
1: yeah like so. it's just there's there's that's why like when we t- when and when you look at like I think actually this is a good point just to, to reinforce like when you look at the scale look at Alex Scherf we project him as a four right now mm-hmm. with a two floor and a six ceiling so you mm-hmm. see, and CJ Chatham, we have as a four and a half with a three floor and a five ceiling. You could argue the three floor is more four, but like two to six versus three to five, which is the difference between Alex Scherf. Like, there's a chance he never makes it out of a ball.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: CJ Chatham, I'm very confident in saying will be, you know, an organizational. He'll
2: get the AAA. He'll
1: yeah, get he'll the get AAA. the AAA, and he's an ORC player at worst.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and best case, you know, he doesn't have as high ceiling. If I'll acknowledge that, but. He's got a better chance of reaching a ceiling, which is – and that's kind of like why when he's graded where he is, if that makes sense.
0: And the other reason – I mean this is a phenomenon you're seeing with the guys who are getting traded. Jalen Beeks, 6 in this system, 16 in, t- in Tampa system.
1: Yeah. It's Ty Buttery,
0: 19 off, yeah. in this system. What was he, like 27?
1: Yeah. Like in, if in... CJ's Chatham in another system, he's in like the back end of the top, tw- of the top uh, 10 – or sorry. 15. He's in like the 15 to 20 range. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like in the Red Sox system – so that's why – like in terms of – if you're going to like the top systems in baseball, the Red Sox maybe would have like one guy in there, in their top tens, maybe right. two. Right, Like their system like is the just Whites, not not, not
0: the White Sox who are the top ones right now, like Atlanta. San
1: Diego. San Diego. Like, go oh, God, Padre, San Diego. I'm, let me go to the Padres. I'm going to go to Pipeline because this is actually a good like comparison point that I think kind of not The Padres system is silly. It's not all, not all, not all top tens are created equal is a good way to say it. And like, if you go to the Padres, their number 10 prospect right now, or or number, their number eight prospect is, or actually this is really funny. Their number eight prospect is Logan Allen, old friend. Their number 11 prospect right now is Anderson Espinosa. Right. Their number 11 prospect is Espinosa. If Anderson Espinosa was in the Red Sox system, even coming back from Tommy John, he's the number one prospect probably. Right. Right. Cal Quantrill at 10. Yeah, like the this system, like <laughs> Buddy Reed would be a top five prospect in the Red Sox system. He's fifteen so and there's Josh Naylor at fifteen, probably. Oh, or 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 Naylor, the outfielder, would be a top five prospect in the Red Sox system. Like, yeah, the, like this, is, the San Diego system is disgusting, right? But I think it's just yeah, there. No, like, that's an it's, it's an extreme example. We should we should it mention is the, it is the extremist example, probably. But, like, even in an average system, you know, the Red Sox, like, the number eight prospect in the Red Sox system is not reflective of, like, a number eight prospect around the game if you mm-hmm. look at individual systems in like, you know, 70% of the systems.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Um, and Bob's other question, we seem to be in a cycle where corner infielders are top prospects. A few years back, 2014 and 15, it seemed to be middle infielders slash outfielders. Do you think it's just the Red Sox system? Is it MILB-wide, or is it a change in drafting strategy, or have I got it wrong? Um, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, if you look at the Red Sox system, the number one, and I guess you've got one, five and six are corner infielders in the Red Sox system right now. And I guess 10 as well. I think that's just luck. It's, is it really? No. Who's 13?
1: 13 is, and and 16 is Diaz, who's a corner guy. And 19 is Travis, who's a corner guy. there's a lot of corner guys that's true no i think there's i think there is some there's some relevance to what he's talking about and i don't necessarily think it's like a philosophy change i think it's just kind of like people are around baseball up the middle guys are valued more and given where the red sox are usually picking they're not getting those guys Mm -hmm. like if you're an up the middle talent who's a like a high-end prospect you're going in the top 15 or top 10 of the draft and Given where they've been picking with their slot you know constraints and everything, they just haven't had a chance to go out and get those you know those high end uh middle middle of the diamond types i mean they've gone they've gone after some center fielders, but in terms of infielders, you know they've kind of where they've had to they've done what they had to and this year, like you look Casas fell to them at you know the end of the first round because he's a corner guy if Cossus was a shortstop, he goes in the top ten probably right. The same thing, you know, guys like uh, Nick Northcutt. If Nick Northcutt play up the middle, he's going he's going in the top three rounds. Mm-hmm. So where they're picking, I don't. I think it's more they just don't have a choice. Like that's kind of right.
0: What's you can take the all. I mean, that's the thing that we, we wind up hearing. It's like, do you want Devin Morero or do you want Tristan Casas? Right? Yeah. I mean, you're not and getting the combination of the two
1: outside if you take a corner guy, right. And, right? and 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 you look even internationally though. You look last year; they signed their of their big top bonuses. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them were signed as shortstops. But the problem is with Latin guys, half, Every, you know, more than half of those guys aren't shortstops. No, like everyone plays shortstop in the Dominican. If you're good, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Diaz so. immediately moved to third. Flores stayed a short. Abreu moved <laughs> six to
1: Or two thirty. So. Right,
0: right. Well, that's the thing. They're sixteen.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Abreu, Nelfi Abreu moved to center field. Denny Daza stayed a short, but he's not hitting. Wilker Vargas is barely playing for whatever reason. Um and Luis Mota I think is also barely
1: playing. Um, yeah, he has sixty six at bats.
0: Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't played very much. I don't think. Yeah, he's played that yeah. so many games? I don't. Think, he's definitely not starting. I know that much. Yeah, twenty three games on the year. Yeah,
1: hitting. Yeah, so it's like you're just. It's harder to find the up the middle guys and the Red Sox. You know that little stretch they had where they had. um Moncada, Bogarts, Betts, DuPont, like all those guys. That's just like—I mean, they got that was some really good scouting and development, but a lot of those guys came in under the old systems, and they just can't do that anymore.
0: Right, and I think yeah, I and mean, I think that's part of it. That's true, but I, I do think there's a certain amount of it that's just kind of—I
1: think it's a lot. I mean, it's happens. just the way it's like. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it's a snapshot in time, and this is where the systems at now.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's. Yeah, they developed Devers, but, you know, they also, developed, like you said, they developed Bogarts, too. Um, yeah. You know, for all we know, Flores and who else? Duran. Although, I guess he's going to be in the outfield now.
1: Outfield. They don't you have know. a lot of shortstops. I mean, you know, it's really fl- Flores, Flores and Nets are the only shortstop second basements we have in the top
0: 35. CJ Chatham disagrees. Oh,
1: and, Ch- and Chatham, of course. Duh.
0: Um, and I guess, well, I guess De La Guerra has fallen out. He's, he's kind of just outside. As have, you know, ever Luis Lozada.
1: Oh, but like Suarez moved to center field. Yeah, it's just, it's yeah. harder to find those guys. I mean, that's I mean, what it is. Right. So, right. yeah.
0: But yeah. Anyway, all right. So thanks for the question, everybody. Again, it's podcast at SoxProspects.com. Um, we appreciate the listen. We're going to wrap things up. Um, working on a little something for the podcast that'll make it a little bit more of a fun listen. Uh, so hopefully, I think we're going to have that maybe by our next episode. We're not going to be here next weekend, I think, Radian. Right, is that what we
1: discussed? Yeah, I think you're away, aren't you?
0: Uh, oh, yeah, I'm Uh, I'm just tied up all next weekend. But the weekend after, hopefully we'll be back. I think I'm around. Um,
1: we're going to try and record, like, what is it, two or three a month? Yeah, two, two usually.
0: or, th- or th- three or four a month, I would say. Two a month would be every other week.
1: Yeah, isn't that what you wanted?
0: Oh, okay. Well, at any rate. No, I would say No more a than a couple of weeks Let's off. Go for that. Let's put yeah. it that way. No more than a couple of weeks off.
1: Yeah, we're going to um, try to be more consistent now.
0: We are. We, we should
1: are, be able to. And we have been the last couple of weeks. We have. We have. Like, if you look since, I would say since June, we've been good. This summer, we've been good. Mm
0: -hmm. We have. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, On behalf of Ian, uh, who you can follow on Twitter, at Ian IanCundell, I-A-N-C-U-N-D-A-L-L. You can follow me, at S-P Chris Hatfield, S-P-C-H-R-I-S-H-A-T-F-I-E-L-D. Big thanks to podcast Joe 2.0, Joe Tetrault, our producer. Uh, and thanks to all to, to all of you for listening, and to all of our patrons again. Down the home stretch, one week left in the Sox prospects donation drive. Please, we're very, very close. Help us get over the hump. Help us balance our uh, our finances for the coming year, so we can keep giving you the best coverage of the Sox farm system anywhere on the web, on the web, or the Reb. Easy for me to say. Um, thank you, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your weeks.